Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We kind of uh, started, we, we ended the year last week uh, in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start the new year in the same place. Last week we talked about getting back to the basics, <clears throat> and I want to talk to you specifically today about worship. And um, not only the importance of worship, but the privilege of worship. Acts chapter 2, let's read the last verses, starting in verse 40 through the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 2, verse 40, says, and with, um, let me me read to you verse 36. This is Peter's sermon that he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he comes kind of to to the culmination of his sermon in verse 36. He said, therefore, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's really important. Both Lord and Christ. The word Christ means the anointed one. So Christ wasn't the last name of Jesus. It was his title, Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus the Christ. But he's not just the anointed one. He's not just the Christ. He's Lord and Christ. And this word Lord in the Greek is the same word that would be translated in the Hebrew that is the name of God. He is God Almighty. He is God. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Peter says, both Lord and Christ. He has given him a position and a name that is above every other name. He is the Lord and he is the Christ. And when Israel, when the men of Israel heard this, they were cut to the heart, the Bible says, And they said, what must we do? And Peter says, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, trust in Jesus. Identify yourself with Jesus. Covenant with Jesus. Verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, in other words, those who gladly trusted in this Jesus who was made both Lord and Christ, they were baptized, and that day there were about 3,000 souls added to them. Now, Peter was preaching primarily to men because it was commanded that every man, this comes from the book of Leviticus, from the Old Testament, from the law, Pentecost was one of three feasts in which every male was commanded to appear before the Lord in the place that he chose his name to dwell forever. That eventually became known to the Jews as the city of Jerusalem. Just kind of an aside. 
where is that place now that God has chosen for his name to dwell forever? It is Jerusalem. But who is Jerusalem? Paul said, I, uh, John says, I saw descending out of heaven, the holy Jerusalem from above. Paul writes about this in Galatians. We are, the church is the holy Jerusalem. You are the church. You are the place God has chosen for his name to dwell forever. That's very significant. God has given to you his name. He has affixed his name upon you and in you. And so Peter preaching to these men that have assembled uh, in obedience to the law. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 39, talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What is this promise or this gift of the Holy Spirit? This is our salvation. You have no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not dwelling in you, if you have not received the Holy Spirit, you have not received the life of Christ. You have not received the gift of salvation. Paul writes, and we'll look at the scripture a little bit later, that God has poured out the spirit of his son. He's placed the spirit of his son in your hearts. Christ dwells in your heart by his spirit. And that spirit that dwells in you now has sealed you and marked you and made you God's very own possession. In fact, you're called his very special treasure. And so this is the environment. And that day, there were 3,000 souls added to them. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need and continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds this morning, that you would, by your spirit, illuminate your word to us, that we would see, that we would hear, that we would know the hope that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. That in this world that is filled with so much hopelessness, God, let us be a people Filled with hope, let us be carriers of hope to the hopeless. Let us be light bearers in the darkness that the world may see and know Christ through the shining city on the hill that you have set up called your church. We ask this, Father, for your glory. Amen. So we've come into a new year and we have come to the beginning of this new year. And we want to look back at the beginning of the church as recorded in the New Testament.
the beginning of the New Testament church to recall those things that were basic to their worship. But more importantly, is that we want to recall and we want to reemphasize and we want to bring to the forefront. And this is what I want to be in the forefront of your mind as you live life. This is what I want to be uh, as the vision that is before you and that, that is Christ. He is the one who is central to our worship. He's central to all of life. Worship requires purpose, preparation, and perseverance. And the purpose and the preparation and the perseverance of worship will also carry us in our walk and in our witness to Christ. So our worship and our walk and our witness can't be separated from one another because they are all linked together to make this whole. Your worship, even as you come into this building week in and week out and and you worship the Lord, it has a direct impact on how you walk out your faith. It has a direct impact on your witness to those in the world that God has brought into your sphere of influence. And so as we are considering worship, we need to understand that ultimately our worship will determine our walk and it will determine our witness. And when our worship is true to Christ, so then too will be our walk and our witness. Now, let me just go through the list of things that we kind of touched on last week that are basic to our worship. And these are the things that the scripture says that these believers continued in. They continued in the gospel, in the preaching, the teaching, and the living of it. They continued in repentance and salvation. This is our response to the gospel. It's not a one-time response. This should be our response always. So whenever and however we hear the gospel or we encounter the gospel, it should remind us of repentance and salvation. Even though, like Spencer prayed today, you might say, well, you know, I worship God. I, I've repented and I've humbled myself. It's these, it's these other people. It's the politicians and it's these. But see, we can't separate ourselves from their sin. The, the scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's intercession on behalf of those who will not humble themselves and pray. Those people don't humble themselves and pray because they don't know to. Because their hearts are hard and they are rebellious and resistant to that. And if we wait for them to humble themselves and pray, it's never going to happen. So what does the Bible say? It says, you believer, you humble yourself and pray on their behalf. You stand in the gap for them. You intercede for them. And God says, when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I'll hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. Do you know what the key for America's healing is? It is for the church in America. It is for the people of God to get on their face and to humble themselves and to pray. Not because because they've committed some gross sin, but because we are a nation in bondage to sin. And it's our recognition that the only deliverance we have from sin is Jesus Christ. And if you have and I have experienced that deliverance from
from sin, from the bondage of sin through faith in Jesus Christ, then we have every reason, we have more reason to humble ourselves and to pray and to call upon God on behalf of those who have not seen yet, who have not heard yet because they are still dead in their sin, in their blindness, in their deafness. We have eyes to see and we have ears to hear, so let us be their voice. And let us pray on their behalf, even as Christ prays on our behalf. Discipleship. The doctrine and the instruction of the apostles, which is the doctrine of Christ. We should continue in this fellowship. Our participation in the body, which is the fellowship of Christ. The breaking of bread, our communion with the body at the table of Christ. Prayers and intercession for the body, which is the intercession of Christ. The manifestation of the Spirit, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. The fruit of the Spirit, or the manifestation of His life and love in the body and through the body. The unity of the faith and the unity of the brethren. They continued having all things in common, verse 44 says. Sacrificial giving as a lifestyle of worship for the glory of God and the good of the body. Singleness of purpose. It's called simplicity of heart, but it speaks of a singleness of heart. They continued in one accord with one heart. Gladness and simplicity of heart was the continuing joyful attitude demonstrated within the body. Praising God and having favor, their continuous worship gave a continuous witness just as ours is to do today. Praising God and having favor and God added to the church daily Ultimately, it is God that brings increase in every way. Your personal discipleship, your personal growth in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus comes by the grace of the Lord working in your life. The growth of the church and the expansion of the kingdom comes through the Lord, through the grace of the Lord working in the earth and working in his people and working in and through all things. Increase comes from God. But it is our responsibility to do those things that God has given to us and for us. The fact that it is by His grace doesn't release us from our responsibility. It joins us. It unites us to our responsibility. And in fulfilling our responsibility from a heart of worship we find our true joy and our true fulfillment in all things. So this is the pattern of the early church. This is what the believers did. It's not just the pattern of the early church. This is to be our pattern today. This is what we are to continue in today. So the object of our worship in the church is Christ, for Christ is central to all. So that which is basic to our worship is only important in light of the object of our worship. Listen, people worship all kinds of things. You can go to foreign countries and see people worshiping all manner of false gods. 
you can just look all around you here in America and people will tell you they don't even believe in God, but yet you see that they worship all kinds of things. They worship money. They worship power. They worship prestige. They worship fame. I mean, everybody's looking for their 15 minutes of fame, right? Why do you think YouTube has exploded? Why do you think so much of social media has? Because it gives people a way for them to become known in a mass way for virtually nothing. I mean, if you can just find that video clip, if you could just create that video clip that would get that certain number of views, you too can become known. You don't have to find a publishing house anymore. You can publish your own book online. You don't have to have a record label anymore. You can just record your own music and put it online. And and who knows, you too might become famous. Well, that's all well and good. But the problem with that is there are a lot of people who are out there worshiping those things and they don't even realize it. And we were never created to make a name for ourselves. We were created to make known the name of the Lord Jesus. We were never created to exalt our own name. We were created to exalt the name of Jesus. This is what our worship is about. This is central to our worship. Christ is the object that is central to our worship. And without Christ, we have no basis for worship. The Father has given the Son and now the Spirit is sent to make known the Son. And what we are, what we are to know is of the Son. So a lot of Christians think that God has sent His Spirit for all kinds of reasons, but we can really boil it down to one reason. And that one reason is is that the Spirit would reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit would make known the Son whom the Father has sent. And what are we to know of the Son? We are to know that He is the Christ. Not just the Christ, but He is Lord. I mean, He is Lord of all. He is the King, not just a King, but the King of kings. He's not just a Lord. He is the Lord of lords. And He is the Christ who was crucified. He's the Christ who was buried, the Christ who was resurrected in and the Christ who ascended to glory. He is, as our, as our motto says here, he is Christ in all of life for all the world. Christ in all of life for all the world. Christ is the gospel. Christ is the good news and there is no other. He has come to save his people from their sins. This is what the angel told Joseph as Joseph was contemplating quietly putting away Mary because he discovered that she was pregnant and they had never had sexual relations. Joseph knew he wasn't the father, but because he was a just and a good man, he was going to put her away quietly. But an angel came to him in a dream and said, don't put her away. Take her for your wife, for she bears a son by the Holy Spirit. 
And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. Our salvation is a brand new start. Do you realize that? It's a brand new year. And I'm talking to you about this on purpose because new years are times when we make new resolutions and we purpose to do things that we didn't do or failed to do before. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions today. I'm talking to you about the fact that God has set up this created order in a way that newness comes to us on a regular basis. Newness comes to us every year. The reality is newness comes to us every day. It really comes to us even more than every day. But there's a reason why the sun comes up every morning. And every morning that the sun comes up, we call it a what? Well, today's another old day. No, we don't say that, do we? We get up and we look out the window and we see the, the, the sun rising. We say it's another new day. The rising of the sun represents a new day. The coming of a new year represents not an old year, but a a new year. So we see that throughout the created order, God has instilled that he's put this everywhere to remind us of newness. Not only each new year, but each new day down to each new breath is a declaration of God's grace and the good news in Christ. Lamentations 3:22 and through 24 says through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul Therefore, I hope in him. Where is your hope, church? Your hope is in the Lord. There is no other place we can put our hope but in him. I didn't say we don't hope in other things. But we need to understand that ultimately the only place our hope will not fail is in the Lord. You can hope in men. But men will fail you. You can hope in institutions, but institutions will fail you. They will all fail sooner or later. The only thing, the only one that never fails is the Lord. His compassions fail not. We have hope in Christ, for in Christ the Lord's compassions fail not, and his mercies are new every morning. In Christ, the hope of the gospel is constantly new. Do you realize that? The gospel is not an old thing that we just hear one time, and we embrace it one time, and we think, oh yeah, gospel, been there, done that. Yeah, I believe in that. Let's move on to something new now. No, you can never move beyond the gospel. Because the gospel is eternal. Because Christ is the gospel. God is the gospel. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is. Period. He is. He is constant. He is eternal. 
So therefore, the gospel is constant. It is eternal. It never grows old. It never fades away. It is always new and being renewed and being reborn and being refreshed, just like the sun that comes up every morning and brings the dawning of a new day. So the gospel brings renewal to us constantly. If you're like me, and I hope you're not, you will mess up today if you haven't already. I'll mess up again. But I am constantly reminded that God's gospel brings renewal constantly. Constantly brings renewal. And everything in the created order speaks of that renewal that God brings. That's good news. We have hope in Christ, for in Christ the Lord's compassion doesn't fail. This is the God of hope. We worship the God of the gospel. We preach and teach the God we are instructed to follow, the God we are privileged to fellowship and commune with, and the God that brings us boldly before his throne of grace to offer our prayers and our petitions from the hearts, from our hearts that are washed and made new by the blood of Jesus. How are we able to come boldly before the throne of grace? Yet this is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible says we are to come. There is one mediator between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. And Jesus says now, he said to his disciples before he left this earth, he said, now you don't have to pray through me anymore. You don't have to to ask me to ask the Father. You can now go directly to the Father in my name. How is that? How is that possible? Jesus, remember, he says to them in this discourse, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I will send the helper. I will send the Holy Spirit. I am with you now, but he will be in you then. Christian, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is in you right now. The fact that the Spirit of God is in you right now means you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. It means that not only has your heart been, been washed and clean, but it means that God has given to you a brand new heart. And you come to the throne of grace to bring your prayers and your petitions directly to the Father because the blood of Jesus has paved a way for you to come face to face, right to his very presence. Because you have been washed and made new in the blood of the Lamb. This is the God we worship with our giving. It's not only the giving of our money. It is standing before him with open hands and open hearts. And all of our being withholding nothing from him. What will you withhold from the Lord? Now I'm going to confess to you. There are. There are too many things that I withhold from the Lord. There are too many things that I hold with a tight fist. But God in his grace knows how to break our grip. And God wants us in his grace to come and to stand before him with our hands and our hearts and all of our being open to him, withholding nothing from him. 
And in our worship, offering all we have and all we are for his glory. That's really what worship is. It is coming before God with open hands and open hearts, just opening our very being to him, presenting ourselves, withholding nothing from him, and worshiping him, and giving to him, and offering to him all we have and all we are, not for our gain, but for his glory. And in his glory, we gain. But it's never for our gain. It's always for his glory. It is in Christ that we have all things in common. He is our vision and he is the one heart that beats in his one body that he is head over. Christ provides the singleness of life and purpose that we are to live our life for. Truly, our purpose is in Christ and our purpose is for Christ. People often ask, I wonder what my purpose is. I can tell you exactly what your purpose is. Your purpose is for Christ. You exist. You have been created for Him. Worship Him. Trust Him. Seek Him. Look to Him. He'll fill in the details for you, I promise, in ways that you won't even realize. It is the grace of Christ that empowers us to continue daily. The, the, the writer of Acts, Luke says, they continue daily in these things. It is the grace of Christ that empowers us to continue daily in the strength of his joy with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor. We are to continue daily in the strength and the assurance of hope that his mercy and his compassion fails not, and that they are new every morning. The start of each new day gives us reason to worship and to celebrate the newness that God continually gives to us in Christ. So we're not only saved. Remember the angel said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins, but we are also sons In Christ, we're not only saved from our sin, we are redeemed to receive the adoption as sons. God has poured out the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. There was a time when Jesus would come. There is a time for everything under heaven. In your impatience, remember that. Remember that God has a time for everything under heaven. He even had a time when his son would be born of a virgin and lay in a manger Exposed and most vulnerable was this Lord and this Christ as a little baby. In the most unusual and unorthodox of ways, he came into this world. 
was not the way you or I would have done it. It's not the way of pomp and circumstance that we see kings operate in today. Mm -mm. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Man, that is good news. The Spirit of Christ in your heart is crying out to the Father. This is our worship. It is the cry of our heart to the Father. This is the cry of a new heart, a cry of worship, A cry of love to the Father of glory. How is it that we are able to offer up this cry to the Father? In Christ, God has given us a new heart. He has given us a heart to worship Him. That's how. So Jeremiah 24, 7, Jeremiah writes, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I may... That I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. There's a little scripture. This is, uh, I just thought of this. Let me read it to you. It's a very obscure scripture that you may miss if you're not paying attention. It's in Matthew's gospel, chapter 11, verse 13. One very small verse that has such huge implications. How do we know what Jeremiah is talking about here? How do we know whether that day has been fulfilled or not? Some people don't believe that it has. But here's what Jesus said. Matthew eleven thirteen. Now listen closely. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Hmm. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. That means Jeremiah's prophecy prophesied until who? Until John. Who was John? Jesus goes on, he says, and John is Elijah, if you can receive it. Who was, why Elijah? Because Elijah was the one prophesied to come before the Messiah would come. Who was John? John was the forerunner. He was the one who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. When would God's people receive a heart to know him? When would he become the Lord that they shall know from a new heart that was given to them. And I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's fulfilled in Christ. Christ makes that possible. If you have that new heart today, you have it because Christ has come. We just finished celebrating Christmas, the coming of the Lord. 
He's coming again, but he came to do something very specific. He came so that you could know him. He came so that you could receive a new heart. He came so that you could become his people, not just his people, but Paul says so that you become, could become sons. You women don't think that the Bible is discriminating against you because the Bible is not discriminating against you. There is a reason why you too are called sons because sons received an inheritance in a way that daughters did not. And the reason the Bible calls male or female, this is what Paul means when he says there is now neither male nor female. It didn't mean that God abolished gender roles. He didn't abolish gender roles. It means that what we have in Christ is not determined by our gender. God doesn't love women less than he loves men. God doesn't give his inheritance, a lesser inheritance to women than he does men. Because you are, whether you're male or female, you are sons of God now. And you are joint heirs with Christ. That's very important for us to understand. This is where if we misappropriate and we miscommunicate and we mis, uh, don't rightly divide the word of truth, this is why people are rewriting the scripture today trying to abolish gender roles. This has nothing to do with gender roles. Male or female, doesn't matter. You are considered sons of God. That means you have a position in Christ that is very special. And how did you receive that position? You received it by grace. You received it because what Jeremiah prophesied has come to pass. Christ has come so that he could give to you that new heart so that you could become his son, so that he could put into your heart his very own spirit and from your heart his spirit crying out, Abba, Father. How about another one? Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Here's another one, one you might be more familiar with. Romans 10 8 through 10. But what does it say, Paul writes? The word is near. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want to submit to you that is not a formula for salvation. You are not saved by a formula. Formulas are how you solve math problems. The problem of sin is not saved by a is not is not solved by a formula. The problem of sin was solved by a savior. Let me read another scripture, the words of Jesus in Luke 6:45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. What determines whether his treasure is good or evil based on the words of Jesus? 
the condition of his heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is absolutely true. (laughs) But it's not a formula. It's just a simple statement of fact. How will you confess from your mouth to salvation? Because the confession of your mouth is going to come from the faith of your heart. And if the confession of your mouth doesn't come from the faith of your heart, then your confession doesn't mean anything. If everything we said was to be taken as truth, then no one would be, there wouldn't be any liars, would there? Can a person say one thing and their heart means something different? You ever, has anyone ever done that to you? Has anyone ever told you one thing, but later to be revealed that their heart really wasn't, their mouth wasn't speaking consistent with their heart? Yeah. When we speak consistent with our heart, when God gives us a new heart, and from our heart of faith, we confess Jesus, we will be saved. Who saves us? God saves us. Jesus saves us. That's right. It's not just your ability to name it and claim it. You can't just claim salvation and say, well, I claimed it. I made the confession, so I'm good. Now I'll just live my life any way I want to because I I did what the Bible said, so I know one day it won't won't matter how I live my life. No. Because you know how you're going to live your life? You're going to live your life consistent with your heart. Your heart is going to determine how you live your life. This is why your heart determines your worship. You can sing songs and say all kinds of empty words, but it means nothing if it's not from your heart. And here's the good news. God said long before the New Testament came, God said long before Jesus was born that he was going to give his people a new heart. And they would love him from a heart of worship, a heart that God would give to them and they would be his people and he would be their God. Worship is not from the mouth, but first from the heart. A heart to worship comes from God. It is the gift of grace that he gives to all in Jesus Christ. It is from a new heart given to us in Christ that we call upon the name of the Lord. It is from that new heart that we worship and cry out, Abba, Father, in the new life of a new creation. For the believer, each new day should remind us that we are made a new creation in Christ. And that new creation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You get that, don't you, church? This is why Paul is so clear in what he writes in his letters to Ephesians. You are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So worship is from the heart. And worship involves 
purpose and preparation and perseverance. So I want to challenge you in the new year and in each new day that you purpose to worship him from the heart that God has given to you for that very reason. Prepare yourself to worship and to persevere in your worship through the many hindrances that would rob you of his joy. Have you ever noticed there are hindrances to your worship? I don't know about you guys. Does, does anyone's alarm clock ever go off and you just don't feel like getting up? It happens to me all the time. When you walk through these doors, do you just magically feel like opening your mouth and singing to God? Or sometimes do you walk through these doors and you're just not feeling it? But it's not about whether you feel it or not. Do you know where your heart is? Do you know where your heart is from? If your heart is from God, then whether you feel like it or not, your heart is to be offered to him in worship and for worship. Jesus has given us his joy to remain in us with the intent that our joy would be full. This is what he writes in John 15, 11. My joy I give to you that it may remain in you and that your joy may be full. We are to worship him in spirit and in truth from a heart that was created and given for worship. And if we will persevere to do this, we will discover the fullness of his joy. There is no doubt about that. Make a commitment to worship him personally and corporately, daily and weekly, for he is worthy of all worship and he has in his grace given to every believer a heart to worship him. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart that you would see the signs of his love and his grace all around Look for and see the reminders that he has provided for us to give us hope throughout each new day. The assurance of hope is that his mercies are new every morning and that he not only deserves our worship, but he demands it. In Christ, he gives us what is required. In Christ, we receive a new heart to worship him. Ask him, call upon his name. He will not put you to shame, the Bible says. But he will save you and give to you a new heart, a heart to worship. Has he given you a new heart to worship him? It's an important question. And if he has, if you can say yes to that question, then let us worship him. If you are not sure, then call upon his name and ask him to give you a heart to worship him. I thought of something just before I walked up. I'm going to just share it with you. It's not a scripture that I gave it's, you don't have it back there, but it's in the book of Revelation. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 22. 
the last chapter of the Bible. Now remember I said that God has put these signs of his love and his grace all around us. A simple sunrise. The fact that you woke up this morning and it was a new day. The fact that you'll go to sleep tonight and lay your head down and I would venture to say that the vast majority of you, if if not all of you, are not going to lay in bed fretting whether the sun is going to come up tomorrow or not. You're going to lay your head down and you're going to know with assurance that a new day is going to come. The sun's going to rise. Today will pass and tomorrow will come. We don't even think about it. It's so real and it's so true that we don't even think about that. But have you ever thought about why God has done that? Why has God given us these things? And and something that is, I think, important for us to notice is that in the new heavens and the new earth, we, we won't have these same things. Look at Revelation chapter 22. It says, And he showed me a a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Look at verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. There shall be no night there, which means what? There won't be any sunrise there. Why won't there be any sunrise there? Well, there's no night. Because the day has come. What day has come? The eternal day has come. The light has come. What light has come? Not just the sun, but the light, the sun, the S-O-N, is the light. He is the eternal day. We won't need a reminder of new hope, of new beginnings, of, of new starts. Because Christ will rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth where all things have become new, where there is no more curse. You know why we have sunrises today? Because the curse is still among us. And the sunrise reminds us that Jesus has overcome the curse. The sunrise reminds us that the sun is victorious. Unless we forget that the sun is victorious, the sun will come up each and every day as a reminder that the sun, the S-O-N, is victorious over all. Until that day that he comes back and returns and puts all of his enemies, even the last enemy, which is death, under his feet and destroys all semblance of the curse and there shall be no more curse And we won't need a reminder that the sun is victorious. The sun will reign and there will be no reminder of the curse. The curse will be gone. And we will live eternally in the new day 
that we have already come into in Jesus Christ. We just haven't seen the fullness of it yet, but it is here. Trust me. Just like when the sun comes up in the morning and you see it just peeking over the horizon, it's the same sun that's going to shine at noontime. It just looks different. We perceive it differently because it has not come to that place where it abolishes all shadow yet. We don't yet see all things under him, but we see Jesus. And he has already won the victory. And there is a day that you and I will see and we will live in if we have been given new hearts by his grace through faith. There is a day that we will live in where there will be no more shadow. No more curse. No more darkness. But the Lamb will be our light. Amen. Let's stand and let me pray. So I want to encourage you to have hope, church. I want to encourage you to take this opportunity of a new year as a new beginning And for you to purpose and to prepare and to persevere to worship Him as never before. Father, you know our hearts. You created us and you created our hearts. Lord, in the fall of man, sin blackened and it hardened man's heart. But in your grace, you give new hearts to your children. In your grace, you give new hearts that are created to worship you. In your grace, you pour out your love into our hearts by your spirit. And you give to us hope that will not disappoint. Father, give us the grace to worship you with purpose, with preparation, and with perseverance. Help us to discover and experience the fullness of our joy in you as we worship you, as we walk with you, and as we give witness to you in all of our life. We ask this, Father, in the name that has been given to us, that name above all names, we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus We ask it, Father, coming boldly to your throne of grace. We ask it for your glory. Make us worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Give us the grace to cast down our idols and hold only one as the object of our worship. Namely, you, Lord Jesus. Be glorified in your church. Be glorified in each heart represented here today. And we trust, God, that you will bring increase personally and corporately in every way as we worship you, as we glorify you in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.